0: Well, good morning. My name is Steve and I'm the lead pastor here. And we just want to welcome you if you're in person or if you're online. And today we're starting a new sermon series called Daily Routines. And before we get there, our vision, our vision, the thing that's going to carry us forward is equipping people to take the next step with Jesus. Transforming our lives and our community. And so that's the thing that we're going to start to map out over the next year. And we're going to take steps as a church family and make this happen. So please be in prayer as we go about this. So the question for us today is what actually keeps us from spending time with Jesus and others? What keeps us from spending time with Jesus and others? And it kind of leads into, what are your habits? What is your routine? You know, from the moment that you get up in the morning to the moment that you go to bed. Actually, the truth is is that our routine reveals our priorities. Our habits actually tell a story about who we are. It communicates what is most important as we allocate our minutes, our resources, Our days and our years. And I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace for this. (laughs) You know, from the moment I wake up in the morning, I struggle with creating great habits. And over the years, I've taken steps forward. And I still need to take steps forward. (laughs) But we need to grow. We need to spend time with Jesus And with others. You know, when that last snowfall hit, I got in my van and I don't have snow tires, but we have snow tires in our car. And we're going up a hill (laughs) to get home. And our tires are spinning and spinning and spinning. Sometimes life feels like that. (laughs) You, you, we, we take a step forward, and you're like, ah oh, we're not going to make it. Here we go. Here's my efforts. <laughs> you know, it's even that way with exercise. You know, everyone's buying a treadmill in January. But when's the best time to actually buy a treadmill? In February? Because <laughs> everyone's returning them, <laughs> getting rid of them. I've tried that, done that. But here's a photo of a guy trying to push his car forward. You know, that's really what creating new habits feels like. You're you're not moving. It's so hard. It's so difficult. And a lot of us feel like this next photo. Right? (laughs) Life is upside down. It's chaotic. It's like, oh, I cannot do this let me tell you, it actually matters what we do with our time and our routine. Justin Early says this in his book, Habits of the Household. He says this, good or bad, a rut is a rut, and our brains love ruts. In other words, you can think yourself out of a pattern you didn't think yourself into. You practice yourself into it so that you have to practice your way out of it. This is why habits are so neurologically formative. It's like a rut that takes us somewhere. They have a destination, he says. Our habits take us in a direction. But then he also says, habits are also spiritually formative. What we do helps us grow as a Christian. And what we don't do keeps us from growing then he says, because our heads go one way, but our habits can go another, guess which way the heart follows? The heart always follows the habit. The heart always follows the habit. So the question for all of us is, how can we actually put the right things in place so that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus, so that we can recalibrate our heart every single day when we struggle, when we feel like life is upside down, when we're spinning our wheels and we don't want to? You know, we, we see the Bible collecting dust <laughs> Or or when our family feels like it's falling apart. Or when temptation comes in and we get swept away again and again and again. How do we get out of that? Well, we need to put the right things in place that lead us towards Christ every single day. So the first thing we're going to look at is, how do we do this? Well, we need to stop hiding behind our busyness. We need to stop hiding behind our busyness. And we're going to jump into the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. But before we get there, here's a bit of context. As we read, just before Mary and Martha, Jesus sends out 72 people to be on mission with him in relationship. And we actually see Jesus saying, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But notice, if you were to read it, that they're busy doing kingdom work. And they go from city to city, from town to town, and God is at work doing new things. People are coming to faith. Demons are being cast out. There's healings happening. And the disciples are like, I can't believe it. God is at work. We're with Jesus. We're seeing a new thing happen. And then they come back and report to Jesus and they say this. With joy, Lord, we can't believe it. Even the demons submit to your name. And then if we keep reading... They come to this other village. So turn with me to your in your Bible or your device to Luke 10, verse 38. And it says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Who's they? It's actually the disciples. It's Jesus and the disciples were welcomed in after doing all these. Th- Amazing things with Jesus as they were traveling from city to city. But notice that Mary and Martha are offering their love, their hospitality, their open door, and they're inviting Jesus into their home. And then there's a little bit of tension in the home between Mary and Martha, who are sisters. You know, Jesus is sitting in the living room, and Mary is sitting at the feet, conversing with Christ, talking with him, enjoying his company, listening to his teaching, and Martha's in the kitchen, busy, trying to, you know, be hospitable, getting the food together. You know, what should I serve Jesus? It's Jesus. (laughs) Is it sandwiches? Is it soup? Is it fish? Is it hamburger helper? No. But let's start with the perspective of Martha. You know, Martha is actually the firstborn, she's the driver, she's the one with a to do list, she gets things done. You know, she's the one that, she comes home, she makes sure, sure that the supper is ready, that there's a plan, the carrots are cut up, you know, the dishes are clean, whatever it is. But I don't know about you, but in my family, we have some Marthas, like myself, I like to get things done. But we also have some Marys, I kind of sit around and waiting, wait for things to get done. Right? And then there's tension. Like, why aren't you helping? Can't you see the things that need to be done for supper? Can't you see that the counter needs to be wiped or whatever it is? And you can actually appreciate the challenge that Jesus has here. Jesus probably even heard Martha say, hey, Mary, I need some help. It's Jesus. Jesus. Can you carry some of this workload so that we can make sure Jesus is fed well? So that we can serve our best? But let's keep reading. Let's pick it up at verse 40. It says this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, as in Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I can hear it. (laughs) Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. What? <laughs> you know, my instinct is to jump to the scene in protest. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Martha's trying to serve you. <laughs> You know, Martha is performing a good task that needs to be done. Someone needs to prepare the food. We all need to eat. You know, can she get a little help? You know, is Jesus being realistic? But actually, Jesus cuts to the issue. It's not the fact that Mary, or sorry, Martha was serving. It's the fact that Martha was more concerned about appearances than she was about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was more concerned about what others were doing rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was consumed by worry and anxiety. What if? Why aren't they? Come on, help! And she completely missed it. But notice that Jesus doesn't actually criticize the task. But Jesus addresses her worry. Why are you so worried? Why are you so anxious about many things? And part of Martha's problem is that she was worried about too much. And ultimately, worry chokes out what Jesus wants to say to us. Worry overwhelms us. It keeps us from being in good relationship with God and others. It keeps our minds busy. Busy thinking about the wrong thing. Thinking about what others should do or shouldn't do. Worry, worry, worry. It takes us away from the most important thing. Problem is... I find myself worrying. I have that record playing in my head. What if? What about that detail? Why aren't they? And it can consume you, it consumes me. Kevin DeYoung says, some of the people are so gifted with details and can get worried and upset and anxious and troubled and they fuss and they get worked up about every stain, every school project, every dirty shirt, every surprise guest, every surge of responsibility and it's a cause for a great panic. And we are so busy with what doesn't matter, worry. Ah. Now I get it. Now I see what Jesus is saying. Dale Carnegie says this, Our fatigue is often caused not by work, but by worry and frustration and resentment. Our fatigue is often caused by worry. Not by working hard for Christ. This is why Paul says do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't be anxious. Why? Because worry will control your decisions. At times, it keeps us from connecting with God and others. Worry keeps us busy. Worry keeps us from spiritual growth. And to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we need to pause, give our worry to him, and sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus also says to Martha, but Martha was distracted. She was distracted with much serving. And distraction also keeps us from spiritual growth. And I think this word distracted means she was drawn away. And what Martha was doing wasn't outright sinful. It's not like she was on her phone or watching kittens on YouTube or just kind of doing the same old thing. She was serving. But she was distracted from the most important thing. The problem isn't that she was serving and doing tasks, but it's because the busyness and the serving actually took priority over meeting with Jesus. And the Bible describes this important routine about seeking God every day. And Paul says it this way, that we need to actually put off our old self and put on our new self. That we can get consumed with kind of the busyness and all the things, but when we sit with Jesus, we're reminded that there's things in our life that we need to actually take off set aside the things that distract us, the things that keep us from growing, the things that keep us from community, that we need to put those things that Christ wants us to put on every single day. It means that we need to go against our flesh and fight our flesh. And that's why it's so important that we take time to be with Jesus. And actually, our habits determine what we're putting on. And the question for all of us is are our habits more shaped by worry and distraction? Or are they shaped by our identity in Christ? And as we go through the daily routine, are we putting on things that remind us of who Christ is? Are we engaging in spiritual rhythms that recalibrate our hearts to the things that God desires, not what the flesh desires? Are we engaging in prayer and meditation and reading Scripture? Are we praising and worshiping Him? Or are we simply putting on a to-do list? I think the problem is is that we all just accept busy. We excuse busy. We hide behind busy. And this passage actually demands that we evaluate what we do. So why do you do what you do? The philosopher James Smith says this. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. In other words, what we do matters. It flows out of us. It's who we are. What's the well that we're going to? Is it Christ? Or is it social media? (laughs) Where are we finding who we are in Christ? Is it the Word of God? Or is it Netflix? What's part of your daily rhythm? Let's keep going. Next, we need to learn to start making Jesus your primary focus. We need to start making Jesus the primary focus. Let's keep reading. Let's pick it up at Luke 10, verse 42. This is what it says. And he's talking to Martha, and he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion. We need to notice that Mary makes Jesus her primary focus, And again, although serving is good, sitting at the feet of Jesus is best. She's willing to sit at the feet of Jesus and talk to him and be discipled by him. But there's something calming about what Mary does. You know, in the middle of the hustle and the bustle of life, we need to pause We need to tune in and say, Jesus, what do you want to teach me today? What do you want to say? Oh, I'll get back to the busyness in a moment. (laughs) But it's the be still and know God. Where everything stops. And we focus on who he is. And what he wants to say to us. Because we need And this passage is about priorities. And the central priority is God Himself. And just like Mary, Jesus needs to be our priority. And this message of Jesus is saying some things can wait. And the only thing more valuable than doing ministry is actually being ministered to. And some of us need to be ministered to, we're tired. We're exhausted. We're burnt out and we need to sit at the feet of Jesus and go, "I need you. I need you more than anything else." And it's not wrong to be tired. It's not wrong to feel overwhelmed. It's not wrong to go through through seasons of complete chaos. But it's wrong and heartbreakingly foolish if we go through life and miss what is most important. In other words, don't neglect your relationship with God. Secondly, don't neglect your relationship with your spouse. Don't neglect your relationship with your kids if you have kids. Don't neglect your relationship with each other. But in that priority, your relationship with God, your spouse, your kids, and your church family is how you grow. And this is the message of priorities. God first. Whether it's five minutes a day or two hours, I don't know. (laughs) So how do we do this? In his book, The Power of a Habit, Charles Duhiggins says this, people usually change bad habits most effectively by focusing only on one pattern or what Duhigg calls a keystone habit. How do you change? You focus on one pattern, one habit. How do you do this? I think the question is is how many times do you have to do something before it becomes a habit or a new rhythm. You know for me I hated practicing the piano, absolutely despised it. And over time my mom would give me incentives, keep praying, yeah, whatever. You know, you kind of make it through and suddenly I developed what is called muscle memory, and the fingers started playing without me thinking. But there was a moment when it clicked. It was about grade 11 or 12, where it's like, oh, I get it. I enjoy this. I, I want to play. I, I can see growth. But it took years of practice and the behavioral psychologist James Clear says on average, it takes more than two months before a new behavior becomes automatic. And actually, 66 days to be exact. 66 days of trying a new thing before it becomes part of our pattern in our life. In other words, we, we try some things once, eh, twice, oh, I don't think I can do this, three times. 66 times, according to science, is when it becomes a part of our life. So what we're saying is if you have one habit that you need to develop and cultivate, we're saying it's time with Jesus first and then time with each other. We need to develop and weave these intentional rhythms where which we observe who He is, where we listen to Him, where we let him change us. It could be as simple as pouring a cup of coffee, right in the morning and go, "Okay, God, I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to open the Bible." It could be five, 10, 15 minutes. It could be an hour. It could be as you're driving to work, you're putting on a podcast or you're putting on an audio book where it's reading the Bible to you and you're talking with God. You pause it. God, thank you for that. Thank you for speaking to me. Oh, I need to change that. It could be as you're walking by the ocean. You have your earbuds in and you're listening to something that fuels you and builds you up. A podcast that directs you to Christ or again, scripture, or sermons, and God's talking to you, and you're growing, and you're having victory in that day because you took the time with Jesus to go, okay, I needed that. I needed that word. I needed that perspective. My heart is moving every other way but towards you, but I have this habit But here's what happens when we try to create a new habit. Someone said it this way. We don't even realize it, but we're chasing dopamine and serotonin more than we would like to admit. Dopamine makes you feel good. Serotonin makes you feel happy. And if you're not careful, you will do the same thing with Jesus. Jesus can become another means just to that serotonin and dopamine hit. And when you come into the presence of God and you get mad because you don't feel something, you're looking for a serotonin and dopamine hit. You're you're not looking to sit next to someone. And sometimes when we chase a feeling, rather than spending time with Jesus, man, we got it all backwards. Because God is always present, and we may not always feel him. Jesus is not appeal. He's not something (laughs) that we take and we have this emotional response. But God is the means. God is the means that we need every single day. And God is the end. And focusing on Jesus leads us to encountering him. And we may not always have this life-changing experience, but we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we learn to share and delight in him. We learn to receive joy when we're feeling empty. We learn to feed our souls. We learn to grow in patience and in love. And we learn to think like him when often our thinking is so contrary and selfish. And we learn to have this relationship with the infinite God who we need, who created us, who knows us better than ourselves. And every moment that we encountered Christ... We become more like him. And we may not always feel it. But when we look back, we can say we've sat at the feet of Jesus and I'm better because of it. I'm more like Christ because of it. And I am changing every single day. I'm putting off the flesh. And I'm putting on Christ. Lastly, is that we need time with each other. We need time with each other. Let's go back to the beginning of the passage. In verse 38, it says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. You know, this village was just out of Jerusalem. John says the name of the village was Bethany. But one of the things that I want us to observe is when we look at the whole of Scripture, that God doesn't just call us to spend just time with him. But God actually calls us to spend time with each other, to be on mission together. And just like Jesus, we need friends. And if you read the text, Jesus had single friends like Mary and Martha. Jesus had married friends. Many of his disciples were married. He invested in them, and they again invested in him. And Jesus and the disciples were busy doing ministry, but then they stopped to spend time with God, and then they started again, and then they stopped, and then they started. They had rhythms, but they were always serving God together. But also notice that Jesus was welcomed into their home, into their living room. Are we inviting people into our home? Do we have friends that we can sit and look eyeball to eyeball with and go, hey, what's really going on in your life? Or are you just busy? Jesus was in this regular rhythm in which he was cultivating relationships. And notice that in relationship, Jesus actually cuts right to the motive and the heart of Martha, and he gently corrects her. He helps her grow spiritually by pointing out her area of weakness. Accountability? Oh, Do we even know what that is in our culture? What point out something was wrong? Kind of goes against Western culture, doesn't it? Because we're always right. <laughs> but the point is, is that we need each other to help us with our blind spots. I need you to help me with my blind spots. You need one another to help each other point out the blind spots. We do it with love. We do it with gentleness. And As we do this, discipleship is positioning you and others for spiritual growth. And there's power as we gather together. It shapes us. It changes us. And as we encounter Jesus as a church family, it's different when we encounter Jesus alone. They're both important. And the key word is participation. If we want to grow spiritually, if we want to create habits, we need to participate with God. We need to help each other along in this life journey. And to participate, we can no longer hide behind busyness. We cannot be lost in doing just good things. We can't hide when we actually participate in community. We can see each other. We can call one another. We can ask hard questions. We know where to bring the meal when we need to. We know what to pray. So whether we like it or not, we all operate in a routine, in systems. And the question for all of us is, was your routine created by having a relationship with God in mind? Or just getting tasks done. And the term habit refers to a settled or regular tendency or practice. And 1 Corinthians 10.23 says this. I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Ah, but not everything is constructive. 1 Corinthians 6:12, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything." I Just want to talk with parents for a moment. I don't want you to feel guilty. There's so much grace. I know the struggle of what it's like to raise young kids. I know that there's very little margin. At my last church, I asked parents a question. And I surveyed, actually, all the teenagers in the church. And the question was simply this. What's one thing you would change about your relationship with your parents? If you could, what could you change? What would you change? And so then I had this parenting seminar, and all the parents gathered in this room. There's probably, you know, like 60 or 70 parents in there. And then I told the parents, by the way, I surveyed your kids. And I asked them, you know, what they would like you to change in the relationship. And parents were, like, what? I said, all your sins came out. And I'm going to put them on the screen. (laughs) No, that's not what happened. But do you know what what almost every single teenager said? They said, I wish my parents would spend more time with me. I wish my parents would spend more time with me. They're so busy doing other things. I remember the moment I said that kids and parents were sitting side by side and you could see tears. Tears. Coming down their face. Because life goes by so quick. And I often wonder if God feels the same way when we get lost in our busyness and neglect spending time with Him, or our spouse, or our kids. So as we start a new year, what habits best position us to be more like Christ? This passage demands that we evaluate it. So what is your routine? What keeps you from spending time with Jesus and others? Have you chosen the good portion? Let's pray. God, this morning... I pray that you would just speak to us. Help us to make a decision to take one step forward. Maybe it's starting a Bible plan. Maybe it's committing to attending church on a regular basis. Maybe it's evaluating our schedule and letting some things go so that we can engage in important relationships or maybe it's even joining a small group. God, speak to us. And the truth is is that we all have work to do. Thank you that you are a God that wants to be in relationship with us and so God. Help us to sit at your feet. Help us to create habits and patterns so that we are being changed by you. Thank you that you are a God worth worshipping. Worth giving our time to. Worth giving our resources to. So God, we invite you to do what we can't speak. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm just going to invite you right now, as the worship team sings, to sit and ask God, what is the one thing that you need to change today? What's one step that you can take towards him? And then we'll stand and sing. There's four things on the screen. Maybe you do want to start a Bible reading plan. You can grab one on the way out. Maybe you need to commit to attending church on a regular basis. Maybe you need to evaluate your schedule so that you can grow. Or maybe you need to take the step of joining a small group. So just bow your head and ask God what it is you need to do.
1: In your presence, and I just want. i'm sorry when i've come with my agenda i'm sorry I just want you and nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else. all the
0: So what is the one step that God is calling you to take today? I challenge you to write it down, put it somewhere where you can see it every single day, share it with your spouse or with a friend, and in 66 days, look back and say, hey, did I make a new habit this year? Thank you for helping me be accountable as i struggled <laughs> but there's so much grace just take a step today forgot to mention we also have prayer teams if you want to come after the service and get prayer we would love to pray with you i would love to pray with you i'm gonna ask the worship team to keep playing for a few moments after and our benediction is from romans 15 it says this may the god of hope May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So go with God and abound in hope. Thank you for coming.